Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you escape. Escape designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and the nightmare world of terror and violence as we bring you Three Skeleton Key, starring Brian McRae. Picture this place, a gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself, a bare black rock 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide, that's at low tide. At high tide, just the lighthouse, rising a hundred feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water. Gray-green, scum-dappled, warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic, bat-like devilfish. Great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war. And yes, sharks, the big ones, the fifteen-footers. And as if this weren't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us all day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. A wind that had smelled the slow and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went, and up, yes, up and up, and round and round, past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope. Casks of wicks and racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up and up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept, and over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing blinding little beams off the big shiny reflectors, glittering and refracting through her lenses. The whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of a rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light, and at night, you'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eyes 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there, watching to see that the feeders kept working and everything ran right, and it wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste, <laughs> what a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that, I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. The silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was, Jean, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You, you're getting to be as bad as Auguste. I thought maybe for once they'd send me somebody who could keep his mouth shut. That was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like Auguste, I quieted down because Auguste was the talkingest man I'd ever met. 
the talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Yes, yes, indeed. I played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Galel. But it was monstrous, ho horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. <laughs> I, I was hated, yes. Yes, they used to throw things at me, hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I, I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. I, yes, I, I gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any longer. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers and the big yellow stars. When out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second. Something the light had touched far off. I waited for her to come about again, and when she did, there it was. A three-master. A big one. About half a mile off and coming down, out of the north-northwest. Coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was there for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one... This sailing vessel was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, Louis! Louis! Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again. What is it? Ship headed for the reef! Coming right up. I had the glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set and the foam creaming away under her bow. Her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, her light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Yeah, the square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch north, northwest. I know. I know what it is. Eh? What? The Dutchman! The Flying Dutchman! We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance! You ghastly galleon! Hag-ridden! Curse-ridden! Shut up, will ya? She's luffing. Yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left it for some reason or other. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long, not with these reefs to break her up. Beautiful ship. Now why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gusts and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came till the sea turned from black to pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief? She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? They say do you think she'll ground this time? Hmm, this is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here, take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. What is it you're... I had to focus, and then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with the dark brown carpet, 
that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all, were hundreds, no, thousands, no, mil, I don't know, an endless, inestimable number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing? Here, g give me a look, give me a look. Yeah, give him the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. If she's gonna turn, she'd better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes, yes it is. Where's all the conversation, August? Huh? Here, want the glasses again? Want another look? No, no! She's still coming on! Turn, will you? Turn, I say. I pray you turn. She's cracking up. The rats, look, on the water, like a carpet. They're swimming. Sure they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below, it's, it's open. Come on. Down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Right, Chief, but hurry! Hurry! Look! See them? No. Oh, yes I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. Millions! They smell us. Here they come. Close the door. Can't! Can't! Can't it! It's stuck! Here, let me... Made it. That was close. One got in. Look, there. Get him. He was as big as a tomcat. Bigger. His eyes were wild and red. His teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for us, starved and ravenous. And we fought him. Fought that one rat all over the room. It was... Oh, believe me, I do not exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. Got it. We better get aloft. As we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows at the various levels, and at every one was a thick, raving, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Will you... Will you look at them? It's a nightmare. The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. We could not see the sky. Nothing. Nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, their teeth, the rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three, we stood very quietly. Very, very quietly in the center of the glass room under our beautiful light. What can we do? What, what can we do? Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. I, 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 I can't. 
It won't do any good to stand here and shake. Yeah, that's right. Anybody want a cigarette? Yes, I, I'll have one. Thank you. Good boy. We've got to keep calm about this thing. Here's a light. They don't like fire, do they? Guess not. Give me another match. You don't like it that much. Turn the lights off. Don't rile them, August. Give me some more matches. I'll, I'll strike them and strike them and strike them until they, they go away. They won't go away. Not until... Finish it, Chief. What? Not until... Not until... What? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror, and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know? They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us, and they could rush at us. But that thin, invisible barrier held them off. Stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. If only it drowned some of them. Ship's rats don't drown. No, sir. You can't drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time? Quarter of six. You've got first watch, John. Right. Uh, wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Auguste. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit in a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the weights, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them, lit them in their gigantic, wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. It blinded them in a fierce stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around. And they, twisting and stuttering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light. The bright light moving in behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close I dared not turn my back but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you cannot see them. Only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. Louis relieved me at 10, but I didn't get much sleep that night. And when I came up to the gallery early next morning, there stood Auguste, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. My dear, dear audience, I'm going to play once again the magnificent role which made the toast of the Paris Theater, evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of into the nether, the parts of... Do not be frightened, little children. I will not hurt you. I stood, staring at him, horror-struck. But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. Auguste! Auguste! Ah, another one! A latecomer! 
Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. Auguste, stop it. Stop it. More over there. Let the gentleman be seated. <laughs> but he didn't stop. He went on, bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms, slapped his face. He looked at me like a child, and then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were there. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louis and me teasing the rats. Yeah, sounds horrible. <laughs> it was fun! We would get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louis was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall the hundred and ten feet to the surf below. <laughs> Look at the sharks. They're eating them. Yeah, the sharks are our friends. You're here. I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> here, my beauties, that's it. Pile up. Kill each other. <laughs> there they go. Auguste joined in, too. Oh, very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he leaped back. Look, my portrait. In rats. It went on all day. And then, I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired, and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, and I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louie! Louie, come quick! What? What is it? They found a way in! I held the glass with my hand. Now, they were all going crazy and, assured of the success of this maneuver, we're all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy bodies thudding against the other side as the window gave way. That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin? No, they can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike. Swung and smashed one in midair. I whirled to see Louie with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand, he got my hand. That's both of them. Louie, I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood, look at it, my, my, 
blood. I, I'm, I'm bleeding. Now don't you worry about it, Louis. Here, look, I'll, I'll wind this handkerchief around it. It'll, it'll be okay. B blood. There now. It's, 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 it's not bad. It's just a flesh. Then I became conscious of another new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trapdoor. I watched the wood, fascinated. And even as I did, it began to give way, and a bristling, whiskery nose showed through. Louis! Louis! We've got to go up! Next level was the living quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the trap door there, too. But it, too, was wood. My... my blood. What are we gonna do? I don't know. They'll be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trapdoor on the gallery is metal. Good! Come on! We made it. We lay across the trapdoor, exhausted, while below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, or water, or leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. So was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. The hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me to, fast. Oh, would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? I hold the power of life and death, and I can let you in. Auguste was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a wrench. He was tapping on the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet and slowly, very slowly tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little bit harder. Uh. I found a coil of wire in the toolkit and I trussed him up. Fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company. And all around, watching our little drama, the rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. We had only one way of summoning them, and that was to shoot off distress rockets. But the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay thirst-tormented, starving, Waiting, waiting. And the following night, I again tended the light, but that small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted. And quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. Nothing I could do. The wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us. All about watching, waiting. 
Below it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they too were waiting. All waiting. And then the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there in the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I wanted to open the windows and call out to them, to warn them somehow, but I was afraid. What if, what if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef, not two hundred yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger or a crewman or a watch? Didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. That's all. That's the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us. Gone back to sea. On their new ship. August. Insane asylum. He never recovered. Louis. They took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. <sighs> oh yes, well. That's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now. I must go set my traps. No, no mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse. I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous, sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. The end. Thanks for listening to Three Skeleton Key, starring Brian McRae as Jean, Dominique Jackson as Louis, and Aaron Alford as Auguste. Three Skeleton Key is based on a short story by French author Georges Toudouz and was adapted for radio by James Poe. It originally aired on November 15, 1949. This modern adaptation was produced and directed by Aaron Alford with music and sound design by Dan Robinson. Special thanks to Cedarville University and Resound Radio.